Hey Slingers, welcome back to another week of the Word Slinger Podcast. This week we're talking to Patrick O'Donnell about cops and writers, so you're going to want to stick around for that. See ya after this. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours now? Here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Word slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Thank you for tuning in to another week of the Word Slinger podcast. We are um, we're chatting with somebody who uh, has become a good friend of mine. Uh, I really appreciate, he, he, you know, he reached out to me initially, um, on Facebook and we've been chatting back and forth. We've had a few phone calls together. So, uh, when he told me that he was, uh, pulling together a book based on his, uh, like 24 years of, of, uh, police experience, um, I was very excited. As you know, I've talked to, uh, a few folks, uh, in the FBI, I've talked to folks in all kinds of different, uh, Law enforcement, uh, the law enforcement community, and uh, different industries. Um, I'm a big fan of people who produce content meant to help authors get things right, and that's exactly what Patrick uh, decided to do with this book. Um, this should be coming out soon. Actually, uh, it may already be out now that I think about it. But uh, you'll, you're going to find a link to this book in the show notes, so make sure you check that out. And um, Stick around. Uh, now that I've changed formats, I'm, I'm bringing back the news. So <laughs> I've decided to, to add a news segment to, uh, to the uh, interview uh, episodes. So, uh, and I'm still working on naming this stuff. Uh, but stick around after the interview to get some uh, industry news. Uh, it'll be short and sweet, I, I promise. Uh, but I got a couple of things that you're going to want to hear about. So stick around for that. And otherwise, enjoy this interview with Patrick O'Donnell. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Wordslinger Podcast. Uh, today, I'm bringing in, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just call you a friend, Patrick, because we've talked on the phone a few times. We've had a couple <coughs> conversations, and I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, those of you who've been listening for a while, you know I'm a thriller author. Occasionally, that allows me to bring in uh, some really interesting uh, research from the outside, and I've talked to people who work in the FBI, and I've talked to people who've worked all kinds of branches of government and today I'm talking with Patrick O'Donnell who is about to release you're you're like on the cusp it's already in pre-order your book is cops and writers correct yeah so we're gonna talk about that and a whole lot more so first welcome to the show Patrick well thanks for having me Kevin I appreciate it <clears throat> now um, this is a project you and I have talked about a little uh, from time to time I was I'm really excited to hear you were gonna be working on it um, uh, because this is, why don't you walk us through what the book is? I don't want to, I, I will, I will, I have my own interpretation, but I'm sure I'll get it all wrong. So why don't you tell everybody <laughs> what the book is about? No problem. But first, if you don't mind, just a little disclaimer. I yes, do not officially, I'm sorry. I forgot. Yes. A that's little okay. Disclaimer. I do not officially represent any specific police or law enforcement agency and do not intend for any of this conversation to be legal advice. If you need a lawyer, get one. So that's, hey that and you have to read that uh because of the nature of your day job that is uh, correct which you can discuss if you feel like it i'm not going to press you on details <laughs> uh it's almost more mysterious if we don't if we yeah. don't 
<laughs> yeah, believe me, I'm not very mysterious. But um, <laughs> as far as the book goes, it is going to walk a writer through the first book. It's called Cops and Writers from the Academy to the Street. And it pretty much is what the title is. How does somebody become a police officer? Why do you want to become a police officer? And I use police officer as a generic, you know, it could be sheriff's deputy as well. But I grew up in the police world. Mm -hmm. I'm a police sergeant right now. I have been for the last 17 of my 24 and a half years. So that's what I know. That's what I'm familiar with. I also come from a large department. I'm probably in the top 10 departments in the country as far as size. I work in a department, a city that is 600,000 people, and we have about 1,800 people sworn, so members that are sworn. The wow. bulk of those are police officers. Then you're going to have detectives and sergeants and lieutenants and captains, but the bulk of any department are the ground pounders, the grunts, the people who actually do most of the police work, which are the police officers, sheriff's deputies, et cetera. So okay. I, I try to explain how somebody becomes a police officer, again, why, and then I get into a little more of the training. What, what, what does it take to become a police officer? The academy, kind of, uh, I go back to when I went through the academy more than 24 years ago to what is the academy like now? Some things yeah. have changed, some things have stayed the same. And then I go into a little more specifics of the different units within a police department, like the SWAT team, detective bureau, uh, canines, mounted patrol, all that kind of good stuff. Cool. Uh, so what you're saying is you, you're writing this book from a very in, informed perspective. <laughs> yes. If, if I'm testifying in court, which I've done many times, I'm considered an expert on the stand. Oh, that's excellent. That's, that's very cool. So, and man, I would totally put that in the marketing materials, by the way. <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> mm. Sorry, I have a very dry throat right now. Uh, so you're going to hear me and see me uh, slugging water from time to time. Um, so, okay, you, so you, you're, you've decided, I'm sorry if you're hearing the lawn guys um, just literally hanging out right outside my window with like leaf blowers and stuff now. Well, um, my, my dogs are being quiet, so hopefully they'll stay quiet. But maybe they're being no mesmerized. Promises. That's they're true. It's involved. hypnotic, yes. <laughs> so uh, you, you decided to, to kind of take the bulk of this experience that you've had and put it into a guide for writers. I mean, why? Why, why writers specifically? Well, I have published three books previously, one under my name and two other books under two different pen names. Okay. And I just kind of happened upon the 20 books to 50 K group. Yeah. And uh, Craig Martell, who I owe a big thank you to. I went to the first conference in Vegas and I was uh, friends with Boyd Craven, yeah. uh, Brian Cohen, A.R. Shaw, all these people who are successful independent authors. And every time I had a question, what I'd ask them and I hit you up more than one time. Hey, what is this cover? What do you think about this cover? I don't know about this idea or that idea. So I was already immersed in the indie author community. Right. And I was actually on 20 books one time and I was in the middle of a sequel for a post-apocalyptic book. And that's what I was writing. 
And I just put a funny picture of me wearing a big furry police hat, smoking a cigar. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm Sergeant Patrick O'Donnell. If anybody has police questions, I'm more than happy to help out. Just yeah. fire away. Oh, my God. The response was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I was just bombarded with questions. Yeah. Like people were direct messaging me. They were, you know, and I did it a couple more times. You know, I always try to do something funny. You know, it's a very serious business, but you got to have a sense of humor. Right. You know, I had one picture with me with one of the police horses I did a selfie with. You know, right. another one I'm with a canine, you know, just to mix it up a little bit. Right. And more than one person approached me and said, boy, I tell you what, you should really write a book about this. There's a need for it. Yeah. And more, again, not to sound corny, but the indie author community has given me a ton and I wanted to give back. Yeah. So that's, and you're giving back in a very unique way in the indie community because there's a, there are always people who, you know, I give back, I give advice, I give, you know, I, I mean, I, I let people in on the benefit of my experience and the, and the things I've learned in talking to others, but you have a very specific skill set uh, that is sort of uncommon in the indie world. So that's, that's pretty cool. Right. And, you know, and most people, they get their information, you know, writers included, obviously, yeah. from not the most reliable sources, i.e. the internet, TV, movies, books. Right. And they're not always 100% accurate. Right, right. So, you know, you're going down that rabbit hole and people are convinced that it's like, no, it's, it's this way. I can't tell you how many times at work, you know, it's like, no, you're under arrest because of A, B, and C. And it's like, well, no, I saw it on TV. You can't do that. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Nah. The, the old, um, what is it? Uh, if you're a police officer, you're not allowed to lie. You can't lie to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's very very true (laughs) you have to tell me if you're an undercover cop it's the law exactly people have some funny ideas about how all that works but yeah that's all right that's that's movies and tv for you i mean we you know we don't know what to believe anymore honestly well you know it's funny because when all the csi stuff kicked off yeah um prosecuting attorneys had problems they call it the csi effect right you had jurors who honestly believed they could get fingerprints off of stones mm-hmm. or something just super goofy that's like on TV is like, Oh, we took the DNA down to the lab and one hour later, here's the results. Right. It takes months and months. I mean, right. nothing happens fast. And yeah. you know, so all of a sudden you have these jurors who are finding people not guilty because you don't have enough forensic evidence. Well, it's physically impossible to do what you think we should be doing. So right. that's just one of the ways that TV and movies have influenced, you know, the public. Yeah. So what is it that your, your book is going to actually focus on? Well, the basics for now. Okay. Um, I've already written a, a sequel to this book. Oh, okay. It's, it's in rough draft and that's going to be crime scene and investigations. Oh, That'll go deeper into the weeds of like, say, a robbery investigation, a homicide, a sexual assault, yes, those types of things. Uh, I I read so much of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have talked about this before. Like I, I and, and what's funny is I don't write. Um, my thrillers aren't really uh, centered around police work. You know, so, maybe a lot more FBI related stuff, but not even really that much. Uh, but I just I find all this very fascinating. My man, my father was a police officer. I didn't know him until 
much later in life, but I mean, I, I've talked to him about his work and everything. So uh, it's just a fascinating subject and it's good to know, uh, no matter what kind of writing you're doing, no matter what kind of fiction you're writing, it's good stuff to know. Oh, you're absolutely right. Even like romance or whatever, if there's a police officer or a crime or something like that involved in their story, hey, you know, it would be good to know the right way of doing it. Yeah. You What's know, interesting is that you talked about the CSI effect. Like I've actually had readers um, get really irate with me and uh, come at me in email or whatever and, and uh, accuse me of not doing my research because I, you know, I described something in a certain way. I'm describing it based on what I've learned is the reality of it from right from guys like you, and, uh, <laughs> but they're so used to the TV version of it that they're like, this is, you've got it all wrong. You need to do your research. You're not. Yeah. Doing it isn't very wrong. sexy for a detective to be sitting in front of a computer reading reports for hours and hours and hours right. and be right. doing all this mundane, just everyday follow up and just, you know, they're literally not running down any alleys after any bad guys, you know, right. et cetera. It's, and most of the police work is done by the cops. Most of the liability and the stuff that you see on TV as far as chasing cars, chasing people, getting into situations that are super high risk, that's cops for the most part. Yeah, that's, uh, and that makes sense. And I think uh, most of us in the general public don't quite realize the distinction. That, that could be the problem. Well, and I go into this in my book, please, people are very confused about rank yeah. within a police department and every department. Well, I shouldn't say every department, but most departments have kind of their own unique rank system. Many mm -hmm. of them are very similar, if not identical, mm -hmm. but like say where I work, there's a chief of police and he's got three assistant chiefs. When Chicago, it's a superintendent of police, right? Yeah. You know, so the verbiage might be a little bit different. So my suggestion to, writers is if you're going to be modeling if your story is in a specific city yeah. you know make sure you have all your facts right about the rank and how things work in that specific city i was helping an okay. author with her book and it was in boston so i did some research on boston about their rank and how things work and it she was it was a homicide investigation and her story was on a, a specific detective and I did some work and these detectives usually work in a group of about five to six. Mm -hmm. And then there's a sergeant that's in charge of them. And then there's a lieutenant that's in charge of the sergeant. And she didn't realize any of that. Yeah. You know, most people think these detectives are just all rogue and they just run off and do whatever they want, whenever they want. Yeah. And it's not like that at all. Yeah. I mean, they do have some latitude, especially somebody that's in a specialty unit, like say homicide. It takes a long time to get to that. You have to be, the skill set has to be very high. You got to be a sharp character. And, yeah. um, but they're all adults. And, but you still have a boss that says, Hey, Kevin, I need you to, you know, work on this canvas. I need you to do this follow up, check this video, you know, blah, blah, blah. Re interview this witness, you know. Mm -hmm. So it isn't just them looking at the case, there's more eyes on it than what most yeah. people realize. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's, and I like what you're saying about, you know, because it is specific to a city or a region. Uh, it, it has thrown people off. Like I've read 
some, uh, I'm not going to name names, but I, I know quite a few British authors who write, uh, who write stuff that's set in the United States sometimes. And, and you'll, you can tell that that they're getting most of their information off of like CSI. <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny. I was just in uh, Northern Ireland uh, yeah. two weeks ago for about eight days. And I, one thing about police officers, one of the things we do is trade patches, uh-huh. like the patch that's on your shoulder. Yeah. You know, just as like, Hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm Pat. I'm from, you know, it's this department have a patch or a challenge yeah. coin. Yeah. You know, it's like a friendly thing. And this guy was an inspector, which in their terms is like one higher than a sergeant mm-hmm. riding around with a rookie. And I was in Belfast and uh, we were just talking and he's like, Kojak, I really like Kojak. And I'm like, Kojak was a while ago, but he, wow. all right, that that's cool. You know, whatever. Yeah. Kojak, man. I haven't thought about Kojak in forever. Oh, hell yeah. Lollipop and everything. Yeah, who loves you, baby? <laughs> and I, was, I was talking about that a while back, and my wife had no clue what I was talking about. Yeah. It was so sad. Uh, and she's only a few years younger than me, not that much younger than me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, I'm, I imagine that's, and I, I also imagine that kind of makes things challenging uh, on the streets, too. You know, if you're a cop on the streets, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens, and uh, Especially now, we're in that age where everybody's monitoring everything. How do getting off track just slightly? I mean, how do you how do you feel about that kind of thing? With everybody's got a camera, everybody's got you know, you know, you're going straight to YouTube. I got on the job in '95, and that was after Rodney King. And the thing about, I mean, there's a lot of different facets when it comes to the whole Rodney King thing. But the biggest thing for law enforcement is every time you have an interaction with the public, you have to assume you're being recorded. Yeah. And if you conduct yourself that way, you won't have any problems. Yeah. You know, most officers are very professional. They know what to do. It's always yes, sir, no, sir. And unless the situation warrants something different, but I always tell my guys, at roll call, it's like every now and then I remind them, I'm like, you know, everybody's got a camera phone. Everybody's there's, there's cameras everywhere. Now everybody's got like a ring doorbell thing or whatever. You know, it's just the age we live in. And about two years ago, our department was mandated to body worn cameras. Yeah. And it was funny because there were certain aspects of society. It's like, oh, good. We're going to catch all these cops doing all this dirty, horrible, you know, da, 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 da. And yeah. it's wound up being the polar opposite. Right. You know, it's like nobody wants to see themselves. They're okay. Nobody wants to see the recorded version of themselves at two o'clock in the morning after they've been drinking all night. Right. Being irate with an officer or someone else or, you know, whatever. And it's like, then you go into court with that and it's like, ah, yep, that's you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like so you can't dispute no denying it. it. Yeah. Right. And one of my jobs as a sergeant is taking citizen complaints. Yeah. You know, Officer Kevin here called me X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Oh, really? 99% of the time, those are completely false. Somebody's mad about getting a ticket. Somebody's mad because their brother got arrested. Somebody's, or they just want to complain. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come in and it doesn't even really have a whole lot to do with police work. They just want on a shoulder to cry on for a little bit. Yeah. I want to make a complaint. And before you know it, they're talking about their cousin who's been in prison and blah, blah, blah. And 
I'll talk to you. No worries. I got nothing but time. That's fine. <laughs> right. But when somebody says, Officer Kevin called me X, Y, and Z, you know, profanity, this, that, and the other thing, racial slur, da, da, da. And I'm like, hold the phone. Yeah. I'll go back. I'll look at the video. And it's like, then I'll go back to the front counter. And I said, well, if you'd like to, I'll show you the video. And right. then it's like, oh, that's recorded. Roll, roll back the footage. Yep. Everything <laughs> is recorded now. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, for the most part, it has helped law enforcement. The only way that it hasn't is if people are familiar with cameras and camera angles, sometimes a certain camera angle doesn't depict exactly what happened. Yeah. And that can get a little tricky. You know, camera angles can be deceiving. Yeah. As far as what happened live. And then something dynamic, such as an officer-involved shooting, you have all these people rewinding it, going in slow motion, da-da-da. Yeah. That's not happening on the street. We don't have a stop button. We don't have a pause button. We don't have a rewind button. Most of these things happen in one or two seconds. Yeah. 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 And, you, and that's you don't how much time the know. officer has to react. Which is and now kind of leaning back towards your book. I mean, that's, that's the sort of thing. Those are details that um, I'm sure you've covered that sort of concept in in the book, mm-hmm. uh, those are details that can help enrich a, uh, a novelist story or a screenwriter story. Right. Uh, so what, what about things like, you know, what, what, let's get in some of the more practical things that you're covering uh, in the book. We don't have to go into super detail because I want sure. people to buy the book. <laughs> so uh, <I. laughs> but like, uh, you know what, cause one thing, one sort of line that I find tricky uh, personally is, you know, I want to be accurate, but as you've pointed out, sometimes accurate's not all that sexy. Um, and there's also public expectation about certain things, uh, the way certain, certain, you know, detectives might act or whatever. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of want to play to the cliches occasionally so that I can maybe twist things and surprise people. Sure. Uh, I actually did that in this last book. Uh, but is, what's, what do you think is the line there? Like what, how, how far can we push it uh, before we really just need to pull it all back and, and aim for accuracy? Well, I'll always help an author or a screenwriter out. If they have a question, I will answer it for them. Now, as far as going through a complete manuscript and spending hours and hours, you know, I charge for that. I'll, I have a little side business where I help out authors with that. And, yeah. excuse me, let's take it. <laughs> we, uh, we have a... Uh, a dog, a dog. Yeah, break. this dog wants to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he looks a little bit like my dog. It's funny. Yeah. So, anyways, um, so the way I put it is, you know, it's good to be. It's good that the writer knows exactly the way it should be, but you have artistic license, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I was talking about before? If you're going to model your department after a specific department. You know, you want to be as accurate as possible, but, you know, some people, some authors have, you know, made up avatar departments. Yeah. And my suggestion to them is model that department after a specific department for consistency's sake. Right. So one book, it's not the chief, and the next book, it's the superintendent, and the next book, it's something different. Right. So, like I said, I think it's best to know all the facts and be specific that way, but there's nothing wrong with you 
bending the facts a little bit here and there. Yeah. You know, as far as like say a timeline, one of the better police shows I've seen through the years that accurately depicted police work was Southland. Okay. And the thing we talked about it at work a lot and we're like, you know what? It's pretty damn accurate, but you know, all this stuff doesn't happen on one shift, but it's Hollywood. You got to, you got to keep it moving. You know, like I said before, you don't want a detective sitting at a computer for eight hours reading reports. Right. Nothing fun (laughs) or sexy or cool about that. You know, now I kind of want to see it. Now I want to see somebody do like a Netflix like 13 hour series. And it's, you know, eight of that is the detective in front of the, like eight full episodes. Oh, oh, that would be painful. I don't think it would be on very long. Going to getting up and getting a styrofoam cup of coffee, coming back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I so I mean I invented an entire uh, division of the FBI that just would not exist in the real world. So I, I'm I'm familiar with the concept of uh, poetic license when it comes sure. to these things. Nobody's going to create a specific historic crimes. You know, only investigates. You know, I, I what I did that that I do think is a little bit smart is kind of tied it to the idea of the white collar crimes division of the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like an offshoot of that. Okay. So I, I think I took the right amount of leeway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, just yeah. as long as you don't go too far off the rails. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, watching, my wife loves crime TV. Yeah. And I, I can't watch it. I, it. It just drives me nuts. You know, there's one, I won't say the specific show, but, you know, they're serving a search warrant and this detective lieutenant is in front wearing a raid jacket. Uh-huh. You know, breaking down doors and like pushing the SWAT team back because she wants to do it. And you know, da da da. It's like nothing can be further from the truth. Yeah, that's... she would be in a car like a block away. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, Hollywood, you know. It's... I wonder. Like, I, my wife and I watch a ton of that because right. um, she loves it. And as for me, it's research. I say, mm-hmm. um, but I do kind of wonder at like. You know, because we know there's no way. I'll even say, like, there's no way they would let, you know, detective whatever her name is, you know, go kick her way into this, this scene, right? Wearing nothing but that vest, you know. Right. <laughs> there's just no way. But uh, you know, I wonder if the audience gets that, or if it really is kind of a, you know. I think most do not, but yeah. people believe what they want to believe, though, too. Yeah, that's yeah, that's part of it. That's true. And it is, it is all about the story. If the story's okay, yes. you can forgive a lot of those details. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why not? I mean, if you're basing your entire uh, perspective on law enforcement on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you've probably got a problem. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny show. <laughs> I, do, I do love that show. But, so, uh, but I tell um, writers, I think character is number one and the rest will follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have some depth for your characters. People look at police officers, detectives as these stoic, you know, it's always, you know, full blown business all the time. Right. We're always serious. I mean, and yes, there is a time and a place, but for the most part, there's some of the biggest jokers I've ever met. They could be stand up comics. They're so damn funny. Yeah. Yeah. And and you do and see, and that's a good point. Uh I don't know if your book is going to cover this or not. Yeah, I have a whole chapter devoted to cop humor. There you go. That's perfect, man. No one has done this, by the way. 
This is why I was so excited when you were telling me about it. Because I think it's just the, it's the right idea for the right time. Because there's so many of us. I, I really do think, you know, I, I, uh, I recommend uh, like the Forensics for Authors series mm -hmm. and, you know, books like that. Because I think, you know, they're written specifically for authors, first of all. So I, I, they're accessible. But I, I just think that, you know, no matter what you write, the more you know about this stuff, the better that work's going to be. So uh, I think this was a book that was over long overdue, Patrick. Well, that and I have included a lot of my own personal stories, yeah. which is either going to bite me in the butt or so far from the people that I've read it so far, they really like it. I think it's, yeah. It I illustrates. You need, it, you need that to, as, as sort of attachment points for what you're illustrating, you know? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, so the book is on pre-order right now. Now, by the time yes. people hear this, it may well be out for quite a while, but uh what uh tell people because we're coming up on the end of the interview already okay um tell people where they can find you and uh this book and more information well you can email me at sarge at copsandwriters.com you can find me on facebook i have a cops and writers closed facebook group all you have to do is ask and i'll let you in for the most part i, I just asked today yeah, I know. I just, uh, I just, uh, you are now an official member. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, I thought for a second my my jokey answers might get me like, uh, how serious is he going to take this? No, see that <laughs> I wanted to lighten it up a little bit. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, I also have my website, copsandwriters.com. So you can find me lurking about in those places. And Excellent. I just wanted to quickly. Uh, shout out to some Facebook groups that are very valuable, I think, to um, writers in this genre. One is a good friend of mine, B. Adam Richards. It's the Writers Detective Bureau. He has a Facebook group and a podcast. It's a weekly podcast. That's really good. Gen Jennifer Servino has a Facebook group called Legal Fiction, where you can go deep into the weeds of, hey, you know, probable cause, search warrants. And she even goes into non-criminal aspects of law. She's a licensed attorney okay. who gives all kinds of free, not free advice, but information. Okay. And there's one more Facebook group called Trauma Fiction. And that's if you're writing a scene where the guy is cutting the abdomen, you know, how long do you think he's going to live? Of medical professionals that are in yeah. trauma fiction. So that's a great resource. And my friend that has um, the um, Writers Detective Bureau podcast and Facebook group, um, Adam Richards, just put a book out on pre-order called the um, Writers Detective Handbook. And I Ooh. believe that's going to be out in August. I'm already, I'm going there now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be good. He's a detective in California. He's done a lot of cool stuff. Just like me, I've been exposed to just about anything you can think of. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's cool, man. I, 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 these are great resources. I've, I've, I've been typing and uh, making notes. So. Okay. Uh, so everybody, um, uh, if you haven't had a chance to, you can get to jot this down. I'm gonna try to put this in the show notes so that you've got it. So, all right, man. Um, this has been a great interview. I, I, this, I'm always fascinated by this stuff and I think resources like this, um, I just welcome. Like, I just want more and more of it. I've probably got more of this kind of stuff on my shelves back there 
then I, I can really uh, <laughs> thoroughly study. Yeah, I study like criminal psychology and things like. Mm-hmm. If you were to look through these bookshelves, you you you'd be surprised, I'm sure, mm-hmm. at uh, the variety of things that I get into. So sure. stuff like this is always fascinating to me. Uh, all right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time uh, and chatting with me. I'm I'm looking forward to. I've, you've sent me a sort of a pre-release version of the book, and I, I got it yesterday, so I had a chance to read the whole thing, but I did get to thumb through it a little. Okay. Today, so thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me on the show, and I appreciate that. No, absolutely, man. All right, everybody. Uh, make sure you check out uh, everything, Patrick, on the show notes of this episode at wordslingerpodcast.com. Right now, you're probably hearing the groovy bridge music. You may dance and place it well, and if you stick around, I'll, I'll give you a word or two on your way out. Uh, and otherwise, we'll see you all next time. Hear your book the way it was meant to be heard. With a fully custom soundtrack based on your material. An album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. Sonatainscribe.com Hey, well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Patrick O'Donnell. Uh, the whole cops and writers thing, I think, is just just brilliant, man. <laughs> I just love it. Um Okay, so uh, as promised, we're going to get into some news. I want to keep this short and sweet, too. But uh, top of the uh, list here is something I actually brought up last time. uh, But it turns out there is more than one bid for Barnes & Noble. We kind of all thought that this was sewn up, that Barnes & Noble uh, was going to be bought out by a specific group. uh, But it it looks like ReaderLink is working on a higher bid for Barnes & Noble. This comes from the digital reader. you know, it, it's interesting because this whole scenario um, of someone buying Barnes & Noble, it, it's interesting <laughs> because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't um, – the uh, some of the guys who are bidding on this, some of the people involved in this, they don't really care about the ebook side of things. They, they see print books as being the way to go. So – uh, it'll be interesting to see what these folks do. I don't know anything about ReaderLink. I don't know, uh, you know, who they are as a player in this. Um, but uh, you know, if they the, basically what's happening right now, I'll read you a little bit of the uh, article from Digital Reader. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that book distributor ReaderLink is working on a bid for Barnes and Noble that would top the $683 million deal negotiated by hedge fund Elliott Management. That was the uh, previous bidder we've talked about. The purchase agreement with Elliott has a clause that says if if, uh, Barnes & Noble strikes a deal with a third party before 11.59 p.m. on June 13th, Elliott would be entitled to a payment of up to $4 million. If the deal is struck after the 13th, Elliott would get $17.5 million. Uh, the Wall Street Journal said that ReaderLink would consider making a bid before the cutoff date if it can get the financing together in time, adding that the company may join with another investor. So um, there are two parties. <laughs> there are two bidders for uh, Barnes & Noble right now. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, even more exciting is, you know, like, where is this going to go? What's this going to mean for us as indie authors? Speculation on that. Uh speculation only on that from me at least is um i think it's going to uh (laughs) dampen personally i think it's going to dampen the offer from barnes and noble for indie authors the nook 
Nook Press and all that, I think that's going to suffer somewhat. Uh, because I believe that the uh, the people bidding on this, the industry thinks of ebooks as a fad, thinks of indie authors as being sort of uh, detrimental to the health of their business uh, because their focus is on print books from traditional uh, retailers, traditional uh, uh, publishing houses rather. So that's me. That's just what I'm thinking. Uh, but you let me know what you think. Pop over to wordslingerpodcast.com. Find uh, this episode 187, I believe, and uh, leave me a note on um, on uh, what you think about this. Because I don't know, I, I kind of feel like that's uh, it's not going to be. I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on the indie publishing world, uh, frankly. But I I don't think it's going to be a boon for us in any way. So, yeah, middle of the road. Okay, uh, next up, how the paper shortage has affected book publishing. This comes in from Forbes, um, but this has been an interesting thing to follow. Uh, at Draft to Digital, we've seen we've kind of seen some of the impact of this as we've tried to roll out. Um, the DDD print side of our business, um, our our primary printer IPG has run into trouble because some of the printers that they rely on and have relied on for decades um, are go, are folding, going under, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that paper now is difficult to come by. <laughs> you would think that you wouldn't think this would be a thing, but this is a thing. Um, so uh, what we're seeing is a kind of shift. Uh, there was, uh, according to this Forbes article, there were a couple of books during the holiday season that were tough to get um, that would have been major gift titles, as they put it. Um, the New York Times reported in December about delays in stocking major gift titles such as The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay and Cookbook Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nasrat. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these names correctly. I am sorry. Uh, this shortage has also affected the magazine industry. So uh, it, this is interesting because it does impact book sales if your book sales are entirely dependent on print. Where I think indies kind of have an advantage is we've almost always been more focused on the digital side of this because that's where the playing field is most even and level for us. Uh, it does mean that costs for copies, uh, the sort of base cost for copies will go up, which means that for a lot of, uh, uh, for a lot of consumers, they may see price hikes in the uh, title costs. So uh, who knows how this is going to impact things. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting to, to me and to you, I hope, uh, because of the, uh, the, this means that there could be something of an advantage to staying focused on the digital side of things. Uh, there are people who disagree with me on this, probably within draft to digital, actually, people usually disagree with me on things like this, <laughs> but, but my perspective on this is, you know, I've seen far more book sales from digital than I have from print. Print is as Seth Godin has put it, um, a souvenir, a print book is a souvenir. Uh, and, uh, if there is a paper shortage and, uh, it's going to become more costly to make books available for print, that's going to impact the publishing on demand or print on demand services out there. Um, and, uh, that includes draft to digital. So, you know, we, we already, we're already seeing some things kind of shake up in the industry when we're cutting deals to make sure prices stay reasonable for authors as far as you know ordering author copies and that sort of thing and that prices can stay reasonable for consumers um you know ipg has done things like you know they're re they're recutting existing paper stock 
to uh, make it fit, you know, formats, other formats that they may not have enough paper for. And things like that are happening. Um, so this is a, this is interesting. <laughs> uh, go check this article out. You'll you'll get a real interesting insight into what's happening in this part of the industry. If you go to wordslingerpodcast.com, episode 187, uh, there's a link right there under the uh, the short bio uh, for this uh, for the show notes on this. Uh, but you can you can ch- surf this out yourself if you want. Uh, it's on Forbes magazine. The title of the article is "How the Paper Shortage Has Affected Book Publishing." Uh, Rachel Kramer Brussel is the contributing writer for for this piece. So go check that out. Uh, tell her I said hello. She has no idea who I am, but um, it's always nice to say hi. So uh, that is it. Um, other things that are going on in the news. There's all kinds of stuff happening all around us. Uh, the publishing industry is take you know basically it's just there are a lot of, there are a lot of tectonic shifts happening and i'm going to be real curious to see what what happens in the next you know two to three years i made some predictions uh a couple of years ago about you know uh, really interestingly enough about print um if you go back rewind go back to some earlier podcasts um you know i made a prediction that if things didn't change, you know, we might see the end of most of the publishing industry, most of the big houses within five years, um, you know, as they merge basically into one another and as they kind of give up the ghost, um, you know, if they didn't start embracing some some of the uh, things that indies are doing, we're seeing that happen. I mean, uh, I, I think that I was pretty spot on with most of my predictions. Uh, one thing that is happening now, I don't have an official story on this yet, but I've, I've been hearing the, the rumors. Um, you know, we're seeing the uh, traditional industry fall back on back catalog stuff from its authors. This is in lieu of, you know, because they're not getting a whole crop. It's really difficult for them to keep using the model they've used, which is, you know, keep promoting their big superstar authors and their brand new works. Uh, the superstar authors can only put out so much work at a time. Most of them are only putting out maybe a book a year at the most. Some are only putting out a book every five years, you know, every 10 years. <laughs> you know, how many Dan Brown books have there been uh, since he published back in like the 90s? you know, the first, his first books, um, you know, you can count on one hand the number of books he's, he's published. Um, so, you know, the, the industry is dependent on a couple of big things, a couple of, uh, a couple of interesting things, big name authors, superstar authors who are going to churn out bestsellers and guaranteed bestsellers. And you know, if Stephen King puts a book out, it's going to be a bestseller. If John Grisham puts a book out, it's going to be a bestseller. But the problem is you're only getting a handful of those a year. Um, so they're falling back on the um, uh, back catalog of these authors, promoting that stuff, refreshing it, giving it new covers, new descriptions, putting in some more marketing effort, and uh, they're going to keep you know pushing that for a while. The problem there is those books will run out. Okay, so at the moment it's almost like competition for indie authors. You know, suddenly we're facing competition with uh, big name authors again. Um, but, and they're pricing these books the way indies price, you know, you can get a, uh, I was re- I just picked up a couple of Ken Follett thrillers when, back when he, before he started writing Pillars of the Earth and that sort of thing, he used to be a thriller writer. And I picked up a couple of his books for like $1.99, <laughs> right? So, um, they're kind of, they're trying to use some of the indie author tricks, uh, but they're going to run out of stock, 
mean, you can only do that so many times, right? So um, these books appear like n- new books to some readers, but a lot of the faithful readers have already read all this stuff, and they might even be a little perturbed that suddenly uh, the book that they paid $29 for is available for $1.99. So, my personal take is that the strategy that the traditional publishing world is using in keeping their brand new stuff high-priced uh, and not allowing you know sites like Amazon to mark it down um, and then releasing the back catalog stuff for cheap, I think it's going to backfire on them. <laughs> you know the 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 difference in price is huge it's not like when an indie author does this and after a book has kind of settled they reduce the price or whatever sometimes we do that i don't do that uh maybe i should but i don't um but that you know that doesn't tend to work against us so much but when you've got such a disparity in price between new releases and back catalog stuff People are going to stop buying the new releases. They're only going to buy the back catalog stuff, and the back catalog stuff's going to run out, and they're just going to wait out the clock until the new stuff is cheaper. So, really, I think that the industry is going to hurt itself. Um, they could adopt more of the indie author strategy and probably get a lot further along, is all I'm saying. Uh, anyway, I'm here to consult Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Not Amazon. Amazon's kind of got it figured out. How about Random House and... Uh, you know, uh, your ilk, <laughs> all the big five, big five. I'm here for you. Uh, I will consult and help you turn this, this Titanic around, uh, Exxon Valdez around. <laughs> so that is it. We're at 45 minutes. I think I'm going to just cut us off here. I don't want to go that, that much longer. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wordslinger podcast. Uh, let me know what you think about the new formats, the news stuff, everything's going on here. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, I am back to doing audio only now on the show because it's faster, easier for me. Uh, let me know what you think of that. Do you miss the video stuff? Were you even watching the video stuff? I, I may, may resurrect video, but in a whole different form. So you tell me what you think and what, uh, what would work for you. And, uh, by God, I'm here to work for you. I'm here to help you out. So God bless each and every one of you. I hope you have a fantastic weekend ahead. Um, I'm about to jump into a whole bunch of cool stuff that I hope I get to tell you about within the next couple of weeks. But other than that, uh, thanks for being here. Stick around for the next episode. And I'll see you next time. Wordslinger.